Hello and welcome. This is another podcast from the Youth Voice Pioneer COVID-19. Today we are joined by the wonderful Chatterboxes and we are here to Mythbus Disabilities. And so obviously I mentioned we've got the Chatterboxes. I will be co-hosted by Ollie. And so if Jacob, you would like to get started by introducing the Chatterboxes and explaining a little bit about what you do. Brilliant. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jacob. I'm a peer mentor with the Chatterbox Youth Group, part of Bournemouth YMCA. I'm here uh, also on behalf of uh, Emily, uh, Samantha, Todd, uh, Natalie, Anthony, and uh, Poppy and Jenny, who are here with us today to discuss about what we do and our thoughts and opinions and so forth. Uh, the Chatterbox organization uh, started back uh, 12 years ago. So uh, this started up by Poppy, who uh, consulted with um, individuals with various disabilities and asked them about what they wanted from a youth group organization in the local community. They started up uh, Chatterboxes with that in mind. And the primary aim that we've had over the past consecutive 12 years is a youth-led magazine that we've put together, usually throughout on a seasonal basis, uh, which is great. And so uh, on top of that, we also host a wide variety of workshops to all sorts of different people. Okay, so I think before we get into real nitty-gritty myth-busting, we will just give a quick update on what has happened with the COVID updates because there was a massive update on Thursday and as we always do we would like to discuss that. I think the big one was that on the 4th of July social distancing is having the biggest relax it's had since it all began. Pubs, restaurants will be allowed to open and social distancing where two metres isn't possible will be reduced to one metre which means that there's a lot more access for businesses and stuff like that. And shielding will be ending and people who have COVID secure workplaces can go to work. And I think that's the main of it. Ollie, is there anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, no, I think it's it's like the step to going back to normality. Like I know uh, some businesses are starting to reopen um, and it, it's good. It, it means that people are kind of able to get back to where they were uh mixing bubbles as well uh they are now a little bit while still quite confusing uh they are a little bit more relaxed again in relation to discussing lockdown um someone from chatbox do you want to share your kind of experience in the lockdown um anthony did you want to share that um i started going back to work like this week and it was really busy at work people coming and like looking at the shop and it was like really hectic and it, it was like really nervous at first but it I think by the end of my like shift I found it more I enjoyed it more and obviously they're planning now think about changing it to one meter now so there is a good chance when they do that that could be an eye-opener of the lockdown nearly at an end okay yeah so sort of talking along the same lines of support and what you've been getting about that um 
are any of you in education or employment and what support have you been getting for that and what's been good what's been bad has school been better or has it been worse are there things that you want to carry on after lockdown so uh in regards to the, my education prospects so uh throughout um, my lifetime i've been in a mainstream school environment even having been diagnosed under the autistic spectrum disorder uh this was uh, this was mainly because i uh, had gone through a program called aba so applied behavior and analysis so unlike other people that were on the autistic spectrum and one who weren't able to receive aba uh, therapy I had uh, gone through this program to uh, improve the social, the communication, the life skills that come with that. And uh, then being able to, um, I, I had this support through primary school. And then after that program then uh, was finished, I'd gone through secondary school. Uh, and now at college, uh, I was studying uh, film and media. Uh, and I was already in the middle of doing A-levels for film and media studies. And I ended up, I, I was in the middle of my second year. And so now they've, obviously, they, they've cancelled all of the exams, uh, which is cool. But um, I'm looking primarily at the moment at university prospects. So by the time September, October, I'm heading to uh, Solent uh, University. And it's difficult at the moment because obviously I've never, even though I've been to Southampton, I've never been to Solent University. And so I haven't had the chance to look around uh, like the main campus areas and so forth. There have been online versions of that, but it's, uh, I don't know, like it's not the real thing uh, unless you yourself see it in person so we haven't had the opportunity to look around the main campus or like what it's like to uh be in like say a lecture hall or the the sort of uh lecturers that you'll come to know throughout your studies obviously that like that opportunity hasn't been there because of the situation that we're dealing with right now so I'm in a unique prospect where I'm having to transition between college and university all whilst dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic so that's primarily where my education lies it's like how the other day um, I was reading an article and it's how people our age so uh, current year 13s year 11s year 12s and 10s uh, will be the COVID generation well, that will, will always be remembered as that because we missed out on exams. Uh, the years below missed out on uh, the kind of support leading up to uh, year 13. And particularly, I felt that um, with like some people who I know who um, have um, SEND, so special educational needs, um, they got very left behind. Like some of them in year 12 feel like they don't really know where they're going. Uh, they're a bit kind of lost and they feel like the system has not deliberately left them behind, but kind of not accounted for them. It's been a bit more like uh, we are focusing on these students. So because they make up the general population of the school, 
but we're not going to focus on these students who kind of need that support going into year 13 and year 11. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember that while this is ultimately something that we look at as quite negative, um, I'm interested to see if any of you have had any positive experiences. Have you gained sort of any more support? And perhaps even you're on a podcast here today. Is there anything that you want to ask for? Anything that you think could be improved? I think um, the, the, the biggest thing that could have been improved for those living under uh, COVID lockdown rules was the procedures uh, for uh, people going through counselling. I, at the time, uh, was about to receive counselling from college because I was dealing with issues of grief uh, and loss. I had had uh, a friend of mine uh, from primary school who ended up uh, taking his own life uh, last year. And I had a teaching assistant, um, an amazing mentor uh, throughout my time at college, who ended up passing away this year in a road accident. And this was before everyone went under lockdown. Uh, and so I was receiving support for said counselling. And by the time they had gotten back to me about, oh, you know, here's the dates of when we do counselling, obviously, COVID-19 happened and put everyone on lockdown. And so they were having to email everyone back with, oh yeah, you know, we'll, we'll still support you or whichever. Uh, but it didn't really do much in the long run. Uh, I, it would have been more appreciative if say counselors had phoned up and say, yeah, you know, we're, we're still there to give support for your specific case. And they would then go about finding ways to do that face to face, whether that be through Zoom or so forth. But I, th I think the, the what we can learn from this is that there are different ways that people prefer to communicate with people and being able to implement that uh, support where needs be. Emily, how's it been? Has it been different but not being at college? I've Oh, I'm not really sure. So I used to be at college, but because um, I was in studying in mainstream for about a year, um, that I didn't get on with it as much. So I had to sadly leave. But um, I'm a lot more happier at home now. But obviously, since this COVID has happened, um, we're meant to be actually shielding. Because like I've got me and my dad at home, obviously because like I'm vulnerable as to I'm autistic. So and my dad's got like heart problems. And now that we've heard that hopefully shielding people are gonna start to relax their time at home. We hopefully are gonna be starting to go out like a bit more. But um I suppose I'm coping, I'm trying to cope, um, but it's quite difficult not like seeing any of my family members, like all my other sisters, um, my aunties, my uncles, my cousins, but 
I'm coping, so it's going all right. One thing to add on there is, according to the Papworth Trust, a leading disability charity, disabled young people aged 16 to 18 in the UK are twice as likely as their non-disabled peers not to be in education, employment or training. So a question that I actually have for you about that, Todd. Okay. How, how do you think, how, how does like kind of knowing that make you feel about your education prospects or your employment prospects? Like seeing a statistic like that, that is so, so extreme. How does that kind of affect you? I suppose it shows that there's lots of work that still needs to be done. And that's why we need projects like the Chatterboxes to raise awareness. And also, one more question. Do you think that the um, COVID-19 crisis could potentially change that statistic? Because less people are in school now, uh, less people are potentially getting the grades they would have needed. Do you reckon that could change or not? Entirely speculative, I know. But uh, do you reckon that could alter in any way? I'm not overly qualified to answer that, other than to say across the board, it has obviously had a major effect. So I suppose only time will tell. Okay, and um, for those of you who are looking to go into employment, um, how is how is that going for you? Samantha, do you want to say about your job at the care home? Yeah, I stopped going because of the COVID. And how does that make you feel? It makes me feel like anxious and worried. There is actually one question I'll ask you on that because I remember it came up a little while back. So I, I know this is something that I'm not sure if most businesses do, but I've certainly seen it happen where businesses will hire someone solely to be their like uh, token disabled person. If you were mm. in, if you were in employment and how, how would that make you feel like kind of knowing whether or not you were, you were either there because you were valued or there because they had to reach a certain quota. Any of you feel free to answer if, uh, oh, if you want to. Yeah, go for it, Natalie. Um, yeah, so I, this is like, has always been a big question for me because, I mean, like, I um, am, I'm trying to start my own business as a disability awareness consultant. So I'll be working with businesses, organisations and schools to try and raise awareness of disabilities and train the employees and employers and the teachers and the pupils uh, all about disabilities and also I cover mental illness as well because that's um, uh, an important topic that we need to, that people need to discuss more about but um, in terms of the question that you just asked about the um, quotas now I mean for me I well I would be grateful for any job that I got that I wanted. Um, so um, like before lockdown, I was um, going for in interviews to be a teaching assistant, which I do really want to do uh, in addition to the business. But because uh, obviously the business will be sort of um, uh, like a sort of patchy kind of, um, you know, get clients when you get clients and it's not a stable kind of thing but um for me i would kind of be offended if i was just there to fill a 
bit of quota. But to be honest, like because in the old days they used to have this thing called green cards, which were which were things that you had if you were disabled. And I think people um, from other countries had them as well. And it basically said that you couldn't be uh, turned down for a job just because you were disabled. Now, there is a statistic, a rather alarming one, that um, says that one in five business uh, employers wouldn't hire a disabled person, which I, it's actually, it is actually illegal. But, I mean, I, they must have asked them anonymously because, I, you know, um, otherwise they wouldn't have admitted to breaking the law. And I've, I've tried for loads of jobs. I've had, like, loads of interviews. And I do my best and they really love me and then they just don't give me the job and it really annoys me. And I prefer training days, I prefer uh, trial days to interviews because I am a kind of person that get, doesn't do well in interviews um, because I, well, actually I'm, I'm better now than I was, but before I was like, really anxious and I had low, really low self-esteem. Um, and I couldn't sell myself. Like when, when someone says, so what qualities can you bring? Uh, I used to say, um, well, um, you know, I didn't know what to say. I remember a time um, when uh, mum wanted me to um, go into the police cadets. So I had a, like an interview with the guy, like a, this policeman came around the house to interview me um, to see if I would get into the police cadets and um, and like because he asked me what my qualities were you know and uh, I just like sort of and on and I couldn't think of anything because at the time nobody told me what my qualities were and I didn't know what I was good at and I remember um, the second that the policeman shut left the door my grandma turned to me and said, well, you failed that one, didn't you? Um, like, she was a big part of the problem, actually, in my low self-esteem. But I just think it really annoys me the fact that people, uh, employers, hear the word disabled or Asperger's or whatever, and they immediately turn their lights off. So it's um, it really annoys me that. Um, <laughs> and um, because... Disabled people have so much value in a business and they have so much to give and people, uh, the employers, think that disabled people, are they can't do anything, disabled people are going to cost them a load of money, they're going to have to put in all these different, they make all these changes, expensive changes, but I'm here to teach them that in fact they can make simple small changes to accommodate the disabled person and you know then um to make everyone more efficient and um make sure everyone reaches their full potential i know and to kind of sounding like i'm you know oprah giving a a speech now <laughs> um but you know what i do i actually do believe in what i talk about i i would actually call myself an expert on asperger's and mental illness um like you know, I haven't got any um, uh, certificates, but I've lived it. I'd rather employ a person that has actually experienced it than rather than just learnt about it. Because unless you've actually lived it, you can't call yourself an expert. 
Yeah, experts by experience. Yeah, um, exactly. That kind of so, ties in actually to something I wanted to quickly ask all of you. Mm-hmm. Do you think, like, for example, uh, we, our last podcast was all about youth proofing a service. Do you feel that in order to disability proof a service, for example, um, would you think, do you think it would be better if you guys were consulted on that? Because I know quite a few businesses, they don't always consult the people that they're creating that service for. So do you, mm. what would you think about that? Like actually being included on those panels? I've seen Anthony's put his hand up. So if we go to you and then Jacob. Well, what you said and what Natalie says, I think it's mainly the cases they they need to like shut. Sometimes you get people because I know a few of my friends who don't want a job to a point they act like they can't do it, and and this is the case. We need people like myself and Natalie um, who can actually want a job in the sake of it not pe- not other people with disabilities who could do a job they just can't be bothered to actually get a job in the first place uh, i wanted to uh talk firstly about the uh the issue of uh, if there's disabled people are employed based on a quota uh, or if they're employed on legitimacy the way i look at it is that it depends on two factors those two factors being uh, what the job is and the, the type of individual that is um, employed for that role. So uh, to reiterate upon my point, the, uh, the, the, the job role, uh, as I see it, is if it's a case of, say, like a public menial job that people can get hired for, like, say, I don't know, like, shop assistants or um, the, I don't know, uh, checkout uh, person or uh, managing stock or whichever. Those are what I see as the type of jobs that should and could be accessible for everyone as long as the individual uh, understands uh, what is, is needed as part of that role and the, the employer is able to accommodate for said person. And uh, if, it, if it's a case of, uh, say, a job with much more uh, understanding of the role, that where, that's where things start becoming a bit tricky because it could be uh, a disabled person looks for that role and they may not understand what, uh, if in the example that I use, it's a person with an intellectual disability. They seek out some sort of role, like say, I don't know, like a police officer, right? And then maybe um, they learn more about the role and maybe some stuff they didn't realize they'd have to do or some stuff they may not understand uh, some of the more complicated aspects of that role and uh, maybe perhaps they wouldn't be right for said role. From one of my own examples, right, I'm working on an audio drama at the moment, and I have lots of people who I associate with at Chatterboxes that have various uh, disabilities, whether that be intellectual or physical. They're 
employed as part of various roles within the audio drama. So I have two different roles for people to undertake, and that's voice acting and sound production. Those that uh, may have an intellectual disability, but are able to understand the, the, the complexities of voice acting for the project because it's a very complicated story. I have them employed with uh, voice acting. However, if it's a case of, because I have uh, a person with an intellectual disability who's employed within the audio drama, uh, he may not necessarily understand uh, the, the, uh, the, the overall complexities that are involved throughout. And so through consultation and um, making sure that that person is happy with the role that they have been allocated for, uh, I have put that individual in sound production because it's a much more uh, simple task with clear instructions uh, that can be laid out when uh, the the time is uh, there and there's lots of free-formed decision-making in regards to what needs to be done and so forth. And so uh, the the way I look at it, to summarise, it depends on the individual and the role in question. If, uh, and, and this works both ways. So you have an individual that is able to understand the role that's given to them and the job is able to accommodate that and the employees are able to accommodate for that person as well so it works both ways and there's a mutual understanding between both parties okay and i understand that todd has something really interesting to say about ticking boxes when it comes to employment yes very much so more on the kind of consulting on how services are designed and employment specifically but employment is a major part of that chatterboxes does a fair bit of work with relevant local authorities i'm not going to say which ones around how they design their services and in some cases they're amazing and they listen to what we say and they they're interested in our feedback and they come back to us and that kind of thing but there are other cases where they really don't and one specific one that i can remember is going to a meeting and we were sat down at this table and they said we've got some young people from chatterboxes with us today and then they completely ignored us for the entire duration of the meeting. It really wasn't exactly the use of our time. And we got nothing out of being there. Purely a boxing exercise in that case. So very much mixed results of that. So that's a real shame. So do you actually have any advice for decision makers about how they can improve that experience for you? I would say the biggest thing which Natalie touched on, I thought very well, is listen directly to people with disabilities rather than people who've studied disability, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you sort of, it's again, like you said, going back to what Natalie said and that whole idea of experts by experience, obviously people who have been through it are going to understand it more than someone who's just studied it. Absolutely. That's the key point. Yeah. Okay. And I think... Larian had a question for you. What I'm getting from what you're saying is that clearly, specifically in employment, you are all being, you all have a disadvantage of the fact that people, services aren't designed for you and they don't have you in mind and that this social stigma of having a disability can be a disadvantage to you. I was just wondering perhaps if 
what would help you? Because I know, Natalie, you said that you were having troubles perhaps with interviews or perhaps with applications. So yeah. Some kind of training with that. Would that help you? Yeah, definitely. Um, the, while I'm speaking, um, sorry, I'm really cheeky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just um, wanted to say uh, I, I have a really great example of um, the right way to do it. So people like doing the right thing. So there was a social, so um, a last year or um, a, like two years ago, whenever it was, we went, to, we were lucky enough to attend the um, YMCA 175 event uh, in London, which is now the place that's being used as a hospital, which is really crazy when I saw it on the telly. Anyway, uh, so one, when we were there, I attended a social enterprise workshop basically a massive conference so a social enterprise workshop and one of the things one of the examples they gave was this cafe that was being run by robots now um you hear that and you think well that's bad people like being replaced by robots but actually when you hear this this is a really cool bit the robots were actually being they were being controlled by paralyzed people in hospital beds from their mind and from their eyes they were like using uh, robotic technology to control the robots with their eyes so they were serving the people and taking the orders and everything uh, so i was like really stoked about that like the fact that even people that can't move can be doing something meaningful and have value so one of the things i think that we wanted to focus on is well, obviously, you've said about um, businesses sometimes and places sometimes not being able to, but uh, not considering your value. So what kind of things have you done? What have you got? <laughs> we want to be really positive. So what have you done? What extracurricular things have you done outside of this that can give you an advantage so that people can see that you, what a value you are to workplace? I think at the end of the day, um, we, we've done all we can do as people with disabilities. So it's now the businesses need to step up their attitude and start thinking about us for a change not just for mainstream people particular just because the thing is the world's never going to change if we stick to our stubborn ways yeah no i absolutely agree with that like i i've been volunteering with chatterboxes now for the better part of 10 years so um, it, it would show to employers the dedication and time that I've put into helping communities, helping people like myself uh, to help them through the troubles of life and being able to express their interests and so forth or whatever um, difficulties that they might have to be able to uh, open up about it and be able to improve upon that. So I, I would like to think now, uh, following on from Anthony's point, that the employers would uh, give that chance to individuals like Anthony and myself and many other people that they have put in their time and effort into helping people uh, like, uh, like themselves and i'd like to think that uh, they would see the value that that has had on the individuals that have put that time and effort to put that into practice 
Emily, do you want to discuss about explain about the peer mentoring program for Chatterboxes? Yeah, so um, within um, the Chatterboxes, like, our role within the group is to like look after not only like the new people that come in, but like the older ones that have been there for quite a while. Uh, we basically help them like if they've got any complex needs that we can help them deal with or if say like somebody came in one day and said oh Emily I've got something really bad that's happened at home could I speak to you with another member of staff we will then take them somewhere like private and quiet with a member of staff and we will sit down with them and we will Basically, for example, saying, oh, um, what's happened at home or at school or anywhere? Then that person would explain what happened. And then we would try and think of a way to help them overcome the fear that they have or what they're feeling to try and make it more better for them. Okay, that's that's really wonderful. I was just going to ask, because it sounds like a really, really wonderful project and it's one that we're perhaps looking into adapting because it is just such a wonderful project, sort of hearing and being taught by people who understand. I just wanted to ask, because this sounds like an amazing scheme that can be really valuable for you. So I just wanted to ask, what skills do you think you've developed from being a peer mentor? So one major skill that I've developed, not specifically from the peer mentoring scheme, but the project in general, is speaking in public. That's something that I was doing quite regularly, obviously, before all the COVID-19 restrictions came in, because public events are kind of on hold for the time being. I regularly speak at events and meetings and things. I'm raising awareness of important topics. That's a valuable skill and something that I wouldn't have thought to do without the project. Would you say that because of a disability, people would be less likely to expect you to be standing on a stage or like expect someone in general with a disability to be willing to go on a stage and do public speaking. I do hear feedback along those lines fairly often, yes. Almost like a kind of surprise. How would that kind of make you feel thinking, oh, well, they didn't think I could do it? That does summarise it quite well, yes. Uh, My experiences from having gone through the peer mentoring program and so forth i'd like originally because i was one of the first people to have been inducted into the program to begin with when we were just starting out and uh originally i thought it was just another like tacked on thing that we would do within the project and it would just fill some kind of uh quota but I was like, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, I'm not doing anything at the moment. I just, here, here, well, here I am now, helping to deliver and training to new peer mentors. We certainly have a wide range of people within the project. We have people like myself who are more than willing to talk to people and have a sort of intellectual understanding, whereas you have some people that are at the project uh, where that uh, they have much more complexities and um, they find it more difficult to understand individuals and uh, their, their methods of processing. So it, uh, it, we cover all sorts of different people and the, the, the fact that they are able to 
have that understanding, I think is so incredibly important. I was just going to ask if you would encourage others to take part in schemes such as the chatterboxes. Yeah, um, I uh, think it's really important that people with disabilities get involved in these sort of schemes because, I mean, obviously, you know, like you can't really find a better one than the chatterboxes, but being in the chatterboxes is a real privilege because, um, like Todd was saying about public speaking, since becoming a chatterbox, I have really, like, come into my own when it comes to public speaking. And I delivered a speech, one of the highlights of my life, actually, is de- delivering a speech to 250 doctors in a conference in Southampton. And um, I was, like, really stoked about that. And they all, like, because I made it, <clears throat> I make all my speeches hilariously funny. That's not blowing my own trumpet or anything. Uh, you know, people, that's just feedback, you know. And it was, like, really, really cool. So, basically, I was really excited because they they laughed and she applauded at one of my jokes. So, <laughs> so I was really pleased about that. But I wouldn't have had the confidence to be able to be such a good public speaker. Okay, so it's it's been really wonderful. So we're going to ask you guys to help us make our takeaways this week. So the question I have to ask you guys is what one request, if you can have any request, um, do you have for decision makers or employers to include people with disabilities better? So I would say to just simply listen to us and so there's a statistic that says uh, an employer um, decides whether they're going to hire a person by within the first 12 seconds of meeting them. And I think that's really important. So if you've already decided that you like someone from the way they present themselves and also their CV, I mean, in my CV, I've got quite a few, a lot of, a lot of my achievements, but not, not all of them. I want to save something for the you know, interview. But, you know, if I was given a chance to say how how mu- how many amazing things I've done and what value I can bring to them, then they would, like, you know, jump at the chance to hire me. But like I said, they kind of switch off because they think, they assume that they're going to have to make these big changes, they're going to have to spend loads of money, etc., etc. So, you know, if they just listen to what I had to say and what um, other disabled people had to say, and then they realised that um, just because the person has a disability doesn't mean they're disabled. So disabled to me means you can't do something, but it doesn't mean you can't do anything. So everyone has something that they're really good at and something that they just cannot do for a toffee. Mic drop. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to mention uh, if, if it's something for people to take away from this discussion, I would say to people to have uh, a mutual understanding between whether that be people with disabilities and make sure they're able to understand your plight. I think everyone is going to be like whoever people come into contact with, they're going to be very, very different people with different personalities and different 
aspirations in life. And what I can say to that is, if there's a mutual understanding between uh, themselves and the people uh, that they come into contact with, uh, then all I can, then all I can say to that is, as as long as uh, that we're able to get along with each other and we're able to respect the differences and of one's individuality, then I think uh, we we can get somewhere in life. <laughs> that's hope. So that's my takeaway for people to go away with from this discussion. One more thing to mention would be our social media pages at the project. We're Chatterboxes on Facebook and on YouTube, the underscore Chatterboxes on Instagram, and chat underscore boxes on Twitter if anyone wants to check those out. I believe we will also have all of those on the little fact sheets that we write as well, if anyone <laughs> wants to have those as like an exact thing written down. Brilliant. Is there anything else anyone would like to add before I move on? Nearly forgot to mention, again, COVID-19 disrupting everything. But we normally produce a quarterly magazine, so that'd be really great for decision makers. Excellent. Well, I think we've covered much everything that we would have liked to. So we've ended on an amazing plug from Todd. And so for now, I would just like to say goodbye from myself and on behalf of the Chatterboxes. Um, thank you for listening. You can find the rest of our podcasts on the participation website. There is a hashtag youth voice tab that you can just go down and find all of our podcasts and all of our fact sheets. This is podcast number eight. So there is a lot more for you to delve into. Thank you for listening. <laughs>